First Peter chapter 1, let's dismiss our children. Thank you so much, Quartet. I love that, Don. You did a great job with that, and we're going to keep that one in there. And, and I'm just very thankful for the truth of that song. Uh, we do pray for Miss Andrea Redmond as she's in the hospital, and, and, um, and it shouldn't be too long before there's a bouncing baby. And uh, we'll find out what gender it is. It's a 50-50. It's going to be a boy or a girl. And um, contrary to popular opinion today or, or crazy opinion today, it's only going to be one of two genders. And so we're thankful for that. The God of our Creator had it set a long time ago. And so First Peter chapter 1, we there? <clears throat> we're very thankful for... Uh, the fact that we can journey through a book like this and get the hope that we need and, and um, because it's Bible hope that gives us God's help. And so we want to continue. This will be the third message in our series of 1 Peter here in chapter number 1. So let's stand together and we'll look at our reading beginning in verse number six. And, and we're gonna, I'm going to reach back a little bit as we do because remember, when they got these letters, <clears throat> they didn't have the chapter divisions. They didn't have verses. Um, they, they, it was all together. And so it was one comprehensive thought. And, and, but we divide it up. If we didn't, we would, we would be here for several weeks at a time if we just preached right through it. But it, it would be a good sometime for us, I think, to read the entire letter the way it would have been read and um, to get the whole thought. So that's why we keep reaching back. We want to keep together the train of thought that goes with it. Because remember when God wrote this, he wrote it for a specific group of people at that time. And there's one interpretation is what God meant when he wrote it. And there's many applications for everyone else ever since he put it in the book. And so let's read beginning in verse number six. The Bible says, Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be. Ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom, having not seen, ye love. In whom, though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. I want to preach this morning on this thought. Is your hope alive? Is your hope alive? I'm giving it a subtitle here, and that is we're going to look at what Peter's giving to us, some truths, truth about trials. You've got them. You're going to have them. But it helps going through them, knowing truth about our trials. Thank you. Please be seated. First Peter, as we have said, is built around the theme of hope, and we've given the Title to the series, Encouragement Through God's Enabling. Encouragement is that hope. What Peter is saying is that there's, there's hope, there's encouragement. And what we're saying to people, what, what the Holy Spirit is saying to people is, come, come, come home, come to God. There's hope. Remember, 
Peter, the big fisherman. He's the one who penned this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And this book is in the Bible because of its emphasis on hope and encouragement. Do you know what it is to lose hope? Maybe you've lost hope at some point in your life. Do you know what it is to come to an experience or place in your heart and life and it seems to you there's no hope? There's nothing ahead. There's no future for you. Simon Peter, remember, again, the writer, he knew what it was to lose hope. Remember, he's the one who denied that he even knew the Lord. He didn't just quit in ministry. He actually denied that there was ever in any relationship with the Lord. And shortly thereafter, the Lord was crucified on a cross, buried in a tomb. And Simon Peter, he lost his hope. In fact, his words could well be described as those two disciples on the road to Emmaus when they were discussing the death of the Lord Jesus. The one said, we had hoped that this was the one, Jesus was the one. And I believe that's the way Simon Peter felt. He lost his hope. You know, you cannot live a, a happy life apart from having hope. Not the world's kind of hope. That's not what Peter's talking about. He's talking about the Bible kind of hope. What is that? Well, it's hope that is found in Jesus alone. When we come to the Lord Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, not religion, but a personal relationship with the Lord, meaning there was a time you knew sin was your problem, you knew hell was where you were headed. If you took your last breath without Jesus, you'd die and go straight to hell like God says so. But you realize that Jesus is the answer. You didn't want your sin. You didn't want to miss heaven and go to hell. And you cried out for Jesus to save you. That's the salvation where you find the beginning of a life with Jesus. That's where you find hope. Hope is the anchor that stabilizes our life on stormy days. Hope is that telescope that brings the promises of God to the eye of faith, enabling us to live our present existence on the basis of future promises of God. How awful not to have any hope whatsoever in our life. It's difficult enough to face fearless, sleepless Nights in a hospital. But think about experiencing those fearless, sleepless nights without Christ as our hope. It's hard to deal with a wayward child. But think about dealing with a wayward child without Christ and without hope. It's hard to go through a painful divorce. But think about going through a painful divorce without Christ, without any hope. It's difficult to hear bad news from a doctor about a terminal disease, but imagine hearing that kind of news without any hope because of not having a real relationship with Christ. It's an awful thing to live without hope. Something happened, however, in the life of Peter. Restored hope was given to Peter. Simon Peter has given this book to us about hope so that we too can discover that he has a great deal to say about hope. God has a great deal to say to us about hope. In the verses we just read, we saw hope mentioned. In verse number 13, you find the word hope appears again. 
In verse 21, you find hope again. See, Simon Peter, he's the apostle of hope. You think of Paul. I think of Paul as the apostle of faith. I think of John. John was the beloved disciple. John would say he was the disciple whom Jesus loved. Paul was an apostle of faith and John was an apostle of love. Peter would be the apostle of hope. He's going to talk to you and me about what it's really like to have hope in our lives. If you have Jesus, you can have hope. If you do not have Jesus as your personal Savior, you cannot have hope. Proverbs 11 and verse 7, when a wicked man dieth, his expectation shall perish, and the hope of unjust men perisheth. If you don't know the Lord when you die, there's absolutely no hope for you eternally. But when you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have hope for the future. And that hope for the future enables you to live with hope in your present existence today. I want you to notice in these verses how Peter, I want you to put this in your mind, how he ties together three concepts. In verse number three, notice he mentions the word hope unto a lively hope, verse three. And he ties that concept of hope to another concept in verse seven, and that is the trial of your faith. Hope, verse three, faith in verse 7, and then there's another concept he ties together in verse 8, and that's the word love. Whom having not seen, ye love. You have hope, faith, and love. Faith, hope, and charity. You've heard of that? And here Peter's emphasizing that concept as well. He says in verse number 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Peter's going to take a moment and he's going to praise the Lord for some spiritual realities that come into our life when we meet Jesus as our Savior so that we can have a living hope. I want you to to look at these with me this morning. Again, we, we preached some of these verses last week, so we're going to tie them together. But number one, he gives us this idea um, because of Christ, we can have hope. And that tells us, number one, we can have an expectant faith. An expectant faith. A faith that is confident. An expectant faith. A real expectation about the future. Notice what he says in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. See, Peter says, let's praise the Lord for a living hope, a hope that is alive. He's talking about mercy. Mercy is something that you get that you do not deserve. It's something that you, that you get. If you're, you're speeding, you get pulled over by an officer and he says you're, you're over the speed limit, you deserve a ticket. That's, that's justice. But he says, I'm not going to give you a ticket. That's called mercy. And when we get saved, God has shown us mercy so that he says, you're not going to go to hell. You're not going to have to pay for your sins. It's a done deal. It's mercy. Now, on the basis of that lively hope and that mercy, he says, we, he has begotten us again. The word begotten is the new birth experience. Again, we got to keep emphasizing this. 
Because I think there's a great danger in people coming to church and joining a church and getting your name on the church roll, but your name never gets onto God's roll, the Lamb's book of life. When it comes time for you to take your last breath, when it comes time to stand before Jesus in Revelation chapter number 21, he's not going to look at Canaan Baptist records. He's going to look at his record. And the Bible says, and the books will be open, Revelation chapter number 20. And he's going to see in those books whether your name has been recorded in the Lamb's book of life. You can go to Sunday school here and you can get put onto the, the Sunday school role. You can join the church and your name be put on the church roll, but none of those guarantee that you'll get into God's heaven because the only way you can get into God's heaven is to get into God's family, and the only way you can get into God's family is through the new birth. See, what we are is the people of God, not as religious people, but as people who have gotten saved, who have been born again. We, we have been uh, born twice. And twice born people is what we are. Twice born people living in a once born world. That makes us strangers and pilgrims and aliens. That makes us separate and we, because we're not a, no longer a part of the devil's family. He saved us out of there. But he says that he's begotten us again to a lively hope. He's birthed us. There's a new birth. And sometimes people say, well, I'm going to heaven because of what I do. Listen, right now we mentioned Andrea's in the hospital. She's in labor. And there's going to be a child that's going to be born. That child has very little to do with being born. Oh, God's made it a certain way to function in a certain way. But that child is not sitting there negotiating. That child doesn't have a say-so as to which womb it would be placed in. That child does not have a decision as to which century it would be born. All of that is God's doing. And when it comes to a spiritual birth, you don't have anything to do with it except the say-so. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. All you can do is cast your faith and trust dependence upon him. And when you call upon Jesus to save you, that's when you are birthed into his family, the new birth. According to his abundant mercy, he's begotten us, verse 3, into a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Something happened that restored Peter's hope. Remember, he failed the Lord. Jesus was crucified. He was buried. And yet the Bible says three days later, Christ arose. And when Christ arose, he said, you go tell my disciples and Peter that I will meet them in Galilee. When Simon Peter saw the living Jesus, his hope was restored. If Jesus Christ is dead, we don't have any hope. If Jesus is alive and he is, we have every reason to have a living hope. See, our hope is based on reality. Our hope is based on the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. So Peter tells us a little bit about our hope. He says about our hope that in verse number four, this is what we talked about last week, we have an inheritance. Prince Charles inherited the throne of England because he's born into that family. And you and I have eternal life, forgiveness of sins, if we've been birthed into God's family. 
That's why it's so important that we have it settled. The word inheritance, it just brings together everything that God has promised us. God's promised us that we're going to have heaven someday, a new body, that we're going to have all the promises of God fulfilled. And he says in verse 4 some things about that inheritance. It's incorruptible, meaning it can't decay. It's undefiled. It fades not away. It'll never die. And so he's talking about this living hope that we have. He's talking about this matter of, of what we have in Christ. And a lot of it has to do with a future tense. A living hope in Jesus right now that we will have heaven. We have it secured. We have it protected by the power of God. It's incorruptible. It's undefiled. It fades not away. But I want you to see something else about it. This reality of a hope that is alive. And that is in verse number six, he tells us, wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now. He shifts from future tense in verse four and five to verse six. He's talking about present tense now. He says, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations. What's he referring to? Well, he's talking about our faith. So I want you to see number two. Not only do we see an expectant faith, but number two, he's talking about an exercised faith. A faith that has to be exercised. Now, we exercise it, and God exercises our faith. See, Peter, he's now talking about the now and now, right here. In verse 4, he's talking about the sweet by and by, but now he's talking about right now. And he mentions this matter of temptations in verse 6, manifold temptations. Now, temptations does not refer to uh, solicitation to sin. This idea of temptations refers to trials, difficulties, problems. Have you ever had any of those? Trials difficulties and problems. Remember, Peter's writing to a group of people who are living in foreign places with difficult cultures. They're twice-born people living in a one-born society. They're God's people living as strangers in the world in which God placed them. He's saying to these people, I know that you're in heaviness now because of many trials and difficulties. He mentions temptations. He also talks about heaviness. You see that? Middle of the verse, if need be, ye are in heaviness. It carries the idea of grief that troubles can bring. Heartache that can come by the troubles and the difficulties of life. You may be in many troubles this morning. And then he uses another word. Notice right before the last word of verse 6, temptations. Notice the word before. It's the word manifold. You see that? Manifold simply means many colored. It's where we get our word polka dot. It comes from this same root word. It means that troubles come in many colors. Troubles come in many different varieties. You may be facing financial troubles this morning. 
You might be facing marital troubles. You might be facing family troubles. It could be health troubles. In other words, somebody can have one of these or all of these this morning. Trials and troubles, they vary. There may be many different nuances and all of these kinds of trials and troubles bring difficulties and heaviness into our life. Peter says, wherein, verse 6, ye greatly rejoice. Though now for a season, if need be, you're in heaviness through manifold temptations. And with that setting here, let's talk about this exercising of faith. He tells us that when trials come, when trials come, all of us have troubles and all of us are in one of three situations. We are either coming out of some trial or trouble, we are heading in trial or trouble, or we're in it. We're we're always coming or going with trials and troubles. And he says, when trials come, he refers to it as a season. A season. One, One good news about that phrase, a season, is that it tells me that the trial is not going to last forever. It's not. You're coming out of the trouble one of these days Whether it's God delivering you here on earth or God delivering you by taking you into eternity in his presence. But the trials will only last for a season. But not only does he tell us when trials come through a season, but he also tells us why trials come. Notice the phrase in verse 6, he says, for a season. Now notice the next phrase, if need B. Now look at it again, verse 6. Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations. What is the need be? Because I'm sure all of us, when we're going through a trial, may say, I don't need it. But God is saying, from his perspective, he he applies it when it's needed. If need be. In other words, what God is saying is that he has a purpose in every trouble, every trial you face. He has a purpose. You say, okay, preacher, I want to know what the purpose is. Well, these verses of scriptures tell us what the purpose of trouble is by an illustration that he gives. Notice verse 7. That the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. All right. The illustration he uses is of gold refined by the fire. That the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold, that perisheth, though it be tried with fire. So the purpose for the troubles that come into your life are twofold. Number one, to purge our faith. He's trying to purge. You never really know how genuine your faith is until your faith is put to the test. He did it with Abraham. He promised him a son, gave him a son, and then he says, now sacrifice your son. And the Bible says that God said to him, now I know 
that you fear me. Now I know, Abraham, that you believe me. Well, God knew it all along. It wasn't for God's sake. It was for Abraham. And we don't know often. We, we like to think, well, I trust God. I believe in God. But can we trust him and believe him when everything seems to hurt and everything seems to fall apart? And so God's going to purge our faith. Again, he's using the idea of the goldsmith. The goldsmith, he'll take gold and he'll put it into a jar known as a crucible. And then he'll begin to heat that crucible. And as the gold begins to melt, it liquefies into a hot liquid. And that gold settles to the bottom and the impurities of the gold rise to the top. Then the goldsmith will take a skimmer and he will skim those impurities right off the top. That's exactly what happens when God allows troubles and trials into your life. When you and I get into the fire of troubles and difficulties... When the fire of trials and difficulties come into our life, it causes the impurities of our life to rise to the top. And so when we're griping and complaining, when we're pouting, we're missing the fact that God is the goldsmith. God cares about you. And one of the most important things about us is that we don't insult the one who loves us Rather, we please him and get a hold of him by faith. And so he purifies. And when all of that dross, when the fire is on, the, the heat begins to do its work within our life, we learn a great deal about ourselves. That trial comes into our life and somebody says, man, I didn't respond right. I didn't, I didn't act right. I didn't. That's not me. No, that is you. That's you and me in the fire. When we're in trouble, how you act, oh, that's really you. You're just seeing you the way you really are. And when we get into the fire of trouble, then all of that stubbornness and all of that selfishness and all of the ugliness and the harshness and the bitterness in our life, it rises to the top and the Lord says, do you see it? Do you see it? You say, oh, I don't like it. I didn't know that was there. And the Lord says, well, let me just skim it off. Let me just take that right off the top of your life. One of the purposes that God has for trouble is to purge us of impurities. But a second one is in verse number seven. That the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of the Lord Jesus. Not only to purge our faith, but also to purify our faith. To purify our faith so that our faith will be genuine. Not, not, not only to purge and get the, 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 the ugliness and self out of it, but he's purifying it so that our faith is authentic authentic. It is genuine. It's sincere. It's without hypocrisy. It's a real faith that trusts God because he's God. And so he's purifying. We, we never know that our faith is what it's really like until it goes through the fire of testing. That goldsmith, he's looking into the gold in the fire do you know that the goldsmith doesn't take his eyes off the gold? All oh, that gold is it's burning, it's, it's hot in the fire. 
It's changing its, its substance. It's changing from solid to liquid. And the goldsmith is looking at it. He's keeping his eyes on it. And what, what happens is he's got his hand on the thermostat and he's very careful with it. You know, God has his eyes on you and he has his hand on the thermostat and he'll never put too much fire on you He'll never put the fire on you to the point that it'll harm your faith, but rather what he's trying to do is purify your faith. You know, as preacher, you say, how does the goldsmith know when it's time to take the gold out of the fire? I'm glad you asked. When the goldsmith sees his own reflection as he's looking at it and he sees his own reflection, he knows that it's time to take the gold out of the fire. Are you going through a hard time this morning? Are you having troubles and it's straining your hope? You wonder when the fire is going to be over? Let me remind you, if you're a child of God, and if you're not a child of God, you better become one. And if you're a child of God, Jesus is looking at you. He's looking at me and he wants us to become more like him. He's trying to see him in you. As our faith is put to the test and tried, we become more like Jesus and the image of Jesus can be seen. When the gold is taken out of the fire, it is well repaid for the fire because one day that gold may become the, the circle of a king's finger as a ring or one day it'll be as a crown on a queen's head. The truth is God's purpose is one day in you and I that, that we would shine with the radiance of Jesus Christ, living hope. I want you to see a third thought in verse number eight. Some truths about trials helping us with a living hope. Verse eight, whom having not seen, ye love. In whom though now ye see him not yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Notice the phrase, whom having not seen, Ye love. You know, here he's talking about number three, an experiential faith. An experiential faith. Not just an expectant faith. Not just an exercise faith where he uh, purges it. He purifies it. But here he's talking about an experiential faith. Peter was saying to them, you've never seen Jesus in the flesh. That's what he's telling them. Nor have you or me. Peter has seen Jesus in the flesh, yet Simon Peter says of them and you, you haven't seen him, yet you love him. I hope that's true of you. Sometimes I wish I could have the heart of Simon Peter. I say to Peter sometimes, you did more than most folks. You actually got out of the boat. Wouldn't you have liked to have seen that scene in the life of Jesus? You and I have not seen Jesus with our physical eyes, but wouldn't you have liked to have seen Jesus walking on water and Peter getting out of the boat? But Peter says, though you haven't seen him, whom having not seen, he tells us, John tells us in John 20, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. You and I are in that category of people who've never seen the Lord with our physical eyes. We've not seen Jesus Christ, yet 
however, if you're born again, child of almighty God, as you study the Bible and the Holy Spirit, he begins to meet with you. He paints a picture in the canvas of your heart of the lovely Lord Jesus Christ. What happens is when you see him with the eyes of faith, verse eight, you love him. Our love for Christ is not based on physical sight because we've never seen him. It's based on our spiritual relationship with him and what the word of God has taught us about Jesus. When you find yourself in some trial and you hurt, would you immediately lift your heart to Christ in true love and worship? Why? Why? Because this will take the poison out of the experience and replace it with healing medicine. See, Satan wants to use life's trials to bring out the worst in us. God's trying to use life's trials to bring out the best in us. And if we love ourselves more than we love Christ, then we will not experience any of the glory now. You have to wait till you get to heaven. But God says you can experience now the glory. The fire will not burn us. It will only purge and purify. I came to the Lord Jesus as a nine-year-old boy. I realized sin was my problem. Hell was my destination. I remember laying in bed many a night. And I would think, what if I didn't wake up? What if I didn't wake up? I've heard preaching on the gospel. And, I, and I've heard people explain the gospel. But if I close my eyes tonight and I don't wake up as a nine-year-old boy whose grandfather was a preacher, I'd die and go to hell. You say you go to hell as a little boy? No, you go to hell as a sinner who rejected Jesus Christ. And on a Wednesday night, I put my faith and trust in Jesus. One of the reasons I'm thankful for Wednesday night services where God can still speak to us. Listen, young person, the more you put off getting saved, the more difficult it will be to hear his voice. Every day you have not received Jesus to be your savior is another day where you've told him no. How many times are you gonna tell Jesus no? Some of you go to school and you're around young people who are lost and heading to hell. You're not helping them. You can't help them until you get saved. You're, you're, you're not supposed to be in a sinking boat with them. You're supposed to be in God's lifeboat and reaching and pulling them into the lifeboat of the saving blood of Jesus Christ. But as a nine-year-old boy, when Jesus saved me, Man, things changed. I remember going out to the lobby. We had our little book rack. And I said, for my birthday, I want to get this little book. It was John R. Rice's book called Soul Winner's Fire. And my grandmother said, are you sure you want to get this? I said, I, I want to get it. You know why I wanted it? Because when I got saved, you know what came to my mind is we had such an emphasis upon seeing people saved. And I remember uh, uh, wanting to go with the bus workers and I'd go with the bus worker and uh, I'd meet it with, on Saturday morning. And, and I don't really remember talking to anybody. I just remember we got to go get sausage biscuits after we were done with, with bus visitation. But I remember getting that Soul Winners Fire by John R. Rice. And as a nine-year-old, I didn't understand it then. And, but I I would read it and highlight it and I'd carry that book and I'd have my Bible. 
because God did something in me. And I would read, I would read my Bible and I, I would highlight my Bible and I would highlight things that I did see. And when I would see things like God so loved the world, it would do something for me. And God became real to me as just a little boy. And I began to, to experience the reality of Christ in me. And I'd read about his love and I'd read about his compassion. I'd read about his power. I fell deeply in love with the Lord Jesus Christ. And though I've never seen him with my eyes, I've seen him. I've met him. And I've never been the same since. There are many of you sitting here, and I believe you would say, I've never seen Jesus with my eyes, but I love him for who he is. I love him for what he's done for me. And one of these days, I'm going to see him face to face. Oh, that's what the Christian life is all about. It's about loving the one we've not yet seen, but we've met him. We've met him. Have you met him? One of the sweetest songs we ever learned was Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong, they are weak, but he is strong. Loving Jesus is the key to it all. Loving Jesus is the key to the Christian life. I heard about a little girl who had a lot of dolls. One day her mom came in and found the little girl in the midst of her dolls and said, what are you doing? And she saw, the mom saw the little girl was just crying. She said, darling, what's the matter? And the little girl said, mama, I have all these dolls and I love them. And I love them. And I love them. And they never love me back. I wonder sometimes if the Lord Jesus doesn't say to the heavenly father, father, I love them. And I've loved them. And I've loved them and they've never loved me back. Have you told Jesus lately that you love him? Have you told him lately that you love him? When was the last time you got alone with your Bible and you read about his wonderful love and you kept reading until your heart was made warm over the fact that there is a God who created you and you're not here by accidents, accident or coincidence. You're here by design. You're an object of his love. My Jesus, I love thee. I know thou art mine. For thee all the follies of sin I resign. My gracious Redeemer, my Savior art thou, if ever I love thee. My Jesus, tis now. You know, what can we do to experience faith in the midst of trials? What do we do? Love Him. Let me give you a second thought in verse number 8. Whom having not seen ye love, and whom though now ye see Him not yet believing, so first of all, love him in the midst of that fiery trial. Number two, trust him. Trust him. We must live by faith and not by sight. Trust him. A lady attended a conference, a Bible conference, and she fell and broke her leg. And she said to the pastor, her pastor, she said, I know that God wanted me to come to this conference. I just don't see why this trial has happened to me. I don't see any good coming from it. The pastor wisely replied, Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. And he said, it doesn't say that we see all things working together for good. It just says we know it. We know it. You may be going through a fiery trial and you don't see any good coming out of it. How many would say, I'm thankful, however, I can know 
that he can bring about good because that's my God. See, faith means surrendering all to God, obeying his word in spite of circumstances, in spite of the consequences. See, love and faith go together. When you love someone, you trust them. And when you trust them, you love them. How can we grow in faith during times of testing and suffering? The same way we grow in faith when things seem to be going well. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Keep feeding on the scripture. I'll tell you this about the word of God. In times of great fiery trials, the Bible takes on a whole different perspective, doesn't it? You see things, you read things, you hear things in the Word of God that didn't mean as much to you otherwise. But not only do we see loving Him and trusting Him, but in verse 8, rejoice. Rejoice in Him. It says, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. See, loving Jesus and believing in Jesus, what that does in the midst of a trial is it brings rejoicing. Rejoice, not rejoicing in the, in the actual uh, uh, pain that, that you're experiencing, but rejoicing, as Brother Rice sang last week, rejoicing in the Lord. Rejoicing in the one who is the refiner, who is the goldsmith, who is helping me, who is leading me, who is loving me. And so we rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. You get that phrase, one of the most beautiful phrases about joy. Rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. What does that mean? It means there's no way to fully express it. I can't describe it. Trying to describe joy from Jesus because of loving him and trusting him and experiencing rejoicing. It's like trying to explain a beautiful sunset to someone who has no eyes. It's like trying to explain a marvelous symphony sound to someone who has no ears. There's no way to fully express who Jesus is and how wonderful he is until you experience him yourself. I was thinking about this and I was thinking if I could just take what Jesus means to me out of my heart. Look this way. Can you look this way for a moment? I was thinking if I could take what Jesus means to me out of my heart and put him in your heart for five minutes, you'll not give that experience back. I don't think you would. That's why the psalmist said, taste and see that the Lord is good. I don't know how to describe it to you. Since that nine-year-old experience of receiving Jesus as my Savior, he's brought unbelievable, unspeakable joy into my life. And then, I'm not going to preach this one, but I want to give you a, a fourth concept, what to do in the midst of the trial and experiential faith, and that is receive from Christ, verses 8 through 12. Whom having not seen ye love, in whom though now ye see him not yet believing, ye rejoice with, unspeakable, with joy unspeakable and full of glory, verse 9, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Just to, 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 to sum that up, and we're going to look at this in the next message, but believing is receiving. When I put my faith and trust, I believed Christ for salvation, I received Jesus to be my personal Savior. Believing is receiving. 
If we love him, trust him, rejoice in him, then you can receive from him all that you need to turn your trial, your fiery trial into a triumph. But you, you've got to take it in that order. Charles Spurgeon used to say this, little faith will take your soul to heaven, but great faith, great faith will bring heaven to your soul. And that's what Peter, I believe, is saying in these next few verses about receive. We can receive, we can bring heaven close to us here in the midst of this trial. We don't just have to hold on and wait until Jesus comes or until we go. You don't have to wait and hold on. You can hold on to the one that's giving you living hope that allows you to see and experience God and to have joy unspeakable and full of glory. And though you may be going through great trial, you, you get to the point where you say, I, I, don't, I don't know if I'm ready to go. I'd like to hang on to him some longer here. This is getting good. Because heaven's coming someday. Let me ask you, are you sure you're going to heaven? I brought it up a few times. You say, I know I'm saved. I know I'm saved. So why, why don't you come to church then? Well, if, you, if, you, if you really know Jesus, why are you skipping out on him? Well, you don't know what's going on. No, that's what I've been preaching about. I don't, but he does. So what's your problem? You don't have a living hope. That's why you don't know how you're going to make it. And that's why you don't, it's not coming in. And that's why you're having to do the very best you can. And you're looking for karma. Stop looking for karma and look for Christ. And stop looking at the horoscope and look at the Holy One. And you need to understand that God is looking for you. And the best thing you can do is surrender to the one who loves you. Let's stand together, please.